0: I invite you to look at one verse of Scripture with me this morning, Psalm 37, Psalm 37 and verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. This is one of the favorite promises in the Bible. Some of you have had this memorized for 20 years. Some of you have it hanging on your on the wall of your house somewhere. These wonderful words. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We have here a pattern That's fairly common in the Bible. We have a a wonderful promise coupled with a challenging exhortation, right? And the the exhortation is a condition for getting to the promise. It says here, delight yourself in the Lord. If we'll do that, then we get this promise. And He will give you the desires of your hearts. You can't jump straight to the promise. We've got to deal seriously with the first part of this verse. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? Delight. That's a happy word, isn't it? It's a word with strong emotion. Delight is about the things that that make us smile, that make us laugh, that make us weep sweet tears of joy. We delight. Delight. In things like that. Delight is, is, uh, is about our greatest pleasures. It's about the things that we love the most. It's about the things that mean the most to our souls. It's what thrills our soul. That's what we delight in. It's what we're focused on. It's what we're daydreaming about. It's what we're looking forward to. These are the things that we delight in. The things that we savor. The things that we, that we celebrate, the things that we treasure, this is delight, delighting in these things. And, and we have the capacity as, as human beings to delight in all kinds of stuff, right? You can delight in a baseball game. You can delight in a, in a, a steak dinner off the grill. You can delight in things of beauty, beautiful art, beautiful sunset, beautiful wedding. We can delight in these things. But this verse is about delighting in just one thing, just one being. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight ourselves with God Himself. Delighting in God, delighting in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, delighting that there is such a God. That we don't live in a world of chance like we're told that this is my Father's world. There There is a God in heaven. A God who has revealed Himself so that we can know Him. So that we can delight in Him. And everything that He has revealed to us about Himself is something we can delight in. Right? Everything that He's shown us about Himself that He is a God like that, that He is a God who is holy, 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 as we sung about here, that He is a God of goodness, that He is a God of faithfulness, that He is a God who, who knows all things, who has all power, that He is in every place, that He is a God who changes not, the Bible says. We delight in all these things. We delight that God is love, the Bible says. He's a loving God. He's a God of grace and mercy and compassion and long-suffering. We delight in everything we know about God. Delighting not only in his person but in his ways how god acts how god does things how god has worked down through the through the, the whole scope of history how god has been doing things how god has been weaving together a million threads of providence in order to accomplish his purposes and we're part of all that web of providential workings in God's wisdom. We can delight in that. Delighting in his salvation. How about that? Delighting that he is a God who saves. That he is a God who pardons iniquity, transgression, and sin. That this is the God that we know. Delighting in the person and work of Christ Jesus. Delighting in every detail of what Christ did in coming into this world, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a perfectly holy life, laid down that life as a spotless lamb upon the altar. He gave Himself for sinners and rose victorious on the third day and has ascended back into glory to the right hand of the majesty on high. Every aspect of Christ and His work of redemption, we delight in that. We delight also in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that God isn't just a great God out there. But God is in here, God Himself comes to indwell me, that He walks with me and talks with me, that He teaches me and comforts me and empowers me and sanctifies me, the Holy Spirit, with us. We delight in the Word of God as well, all that God has chosen to tell us. He didn't just tell us a little bit, right? He told us 1,700 pages of His words to us. And in this book, there are hundreds of great and precious promises that He's made to His people. He's even promised to one day come home and get us and take us home to be with Him forever and ever. We delight in these things. We delight in God. We delight that He is Our creator, that he is our father, that he is our savior, that he is our master, that he is the captain of our salvation and our prophet and priest and king and all these wonderful titles of God. You see, there is no no shortage of material for delighting in God, is there? It's a vast subject. I suppose for all eternity we'll be uncovering and learning more about God, about Him, enjoying more of the God who is there. Is this important? Is it important to God whether or not we delight in Him? How much does God care about my degree of of emotional engagement with him does god care about my emotions this delight business it's about our feelings and sometimes we're going to disparage feelings but how important is it to god is god just concerned about our bottom line performance you know for believing the right things and doing the right things am i okay or does god care about our hearts being involved no the scripture is emphatic god cares about our hearts he cares about this thing of delight And joy in Him. Let me just share some scriptures. I'll go through these quickly. Turn to them if you want. But it's fine to just listen. Psalm 100 and verse 2. You probably know this verse. It says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. You see, it's not enough just to serve the Lord, right? But it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Gladness. He wants gladness in our service. Not enough just to sing to the Lord. It says joyful singing. That's important. Psalm 43 and verse 4 is another one. It's in the context of worship. He says, Then I will go to the altar of God. So he's anticipating going to worship God, going to the altar. He says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I'm going to go to God, to God, my exceeding joy. How is it that we approach worship, beloved? How do you approach coming to worship God here or in your personal devotion time? Do you say, I'm going to God, my exceeding joy? What a thing. And then and the way the verse ends is instructive too. He says, and upon the lyre, I shall praise Thee, O God, my God. And you say, I'm going to praise God. He says, I'm going to praise, oh God, my God. We have that sense of engagement with the Lord in our souls. Another one from the Psalms, Psalm 63, verse 5, says, My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. He says, my soul is just filled up, just satisfied with God, as, if, as though I'm stuffed with the richest food. And thus, I respond with praise. Thus, I, I praise Him with joyful lips, satisfied with morrow and fatness. Well, a few from the New Testament also. These are very familiar. Philippians 4, verse 4 It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, Rejoice. It just struck me this week that this verse is not about generic rejoicing, but it's specific rejoicing, isn't it? It says, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's just like our text in Psalm 37. Delight in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord Always, it says, a continual thing, not just a Sunday morning thing, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Always. It's to be characterize our lives, our attitude. Uh, another reference, first Peter one verse eight. First Peter one eight. It says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So he says that 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 yes, you can't you can't see him now. Jesus is invisible to us, but but we believe in him. We see him with eyes of faith, and that experience is so strong, so wonderful that it prompts this joy. It's, it causes us to greatly rejoice with joy Inexpressible joy, unspeakable joy, so deep and profound you can't ever put it into words. And full of glory, it says. What an experience the Bible describes this joy in Christ for the believer. One more reference. This one's kind of negative, but I think it's real helpful. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus. The exalted Jesus is is sending these messages to each of those seven churches, you know, and he has a personal word for each one of them. And to the church at Ephesus, um, he says something so interesting. This is a church that was doing a lot of things right. It's, he says that you're toiling, you are enduring, you are persevering. So it's this picture of a church that's plodding on, plodding on. They're doing they're doing the right stuff. They're, they're exposing error and false teaching. He commends them for these things. But he says, I have one thing against you. That you have left your first love. You've left your first love along the way. Now at some time, they did have a great love for God. But they had left it somewhere over the years. Yes, they were still plodding along. They were still doing a lot of the right stuff. But they had left their first love a first love it's kind of a kind of the idea of a honeymoon love something kind of special at the beginning of a relationship and you you're kind of used to that sort of dying out sort of of turning into something kind of ordinary but Jesus says in your relationship with me I don't want you to ever get over it I want you to remain in in a first love experience with Me. He wants us to be engaged with Him that way. And it was a big deal to the Ephesians. Jesus said, "If if you don't repent of this, if you don't get right, I'm going to come and take away your candlestick. And it appears that He did. So this is important to God. It is not acceptable. To God for us to just be a bunch of joyless rule keepers. You know, here I am, I'm plodding along, I'm I'm doing my duty here, I'm trying to endure to the end, but the Lord wants us to be delighted along the way. He wants us to enjoy him he's, he's looking for gladness in our service he's looking for the one who's rejoicing always he's looking for delight he's looking for us to maintain a first love type experience with him. so it is important to God. well, next question then is why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult to consistently delight ourselves in the Lord? You know, this should be the easiest possible activity, the most natural, normal, automatic thing. Do you think the angels in heaven have any difficulty delighting in God? Do you think they have to be cajoled and encouraged to do that? No. Because God is altogether delightful. God is so glorious just in Himself. Oh, you can take whatever the most beautiful things you've ever seen on earth, the most wonderful stuff that you've experienced, the things that mean the most to us in this life, God is infinitely better than the best things we can imagine. He is perfect. He is altogether lovely. The fairest of 10,000, right? So how can we be... Ho hum about God. What's wrong with us? Well the problem is always sin, isn't it? It's sin. It's our it's our fallenness. This struck me this week. What an indication of how badly we're affected by the fall. How how much we've been messed up. That here the most the God himself, the glorious God, is here before us and we can't we we have a hard time delighting consistently in Him. And for the non-Christian, if you're not a Christian today, then it's not a difficult thing for you to, to uh, delight in God. It's an impossible thing. You can't delight in God really at all. You're blind. You're blind to... His beauty and excellence and majesty. I I know I was before I was a Christian. I, I don't think I was I was raised in good church. I was around wonderful Christians, wonderful preaching. I don't think I really delighted in God one second of my life when I was lost. I really preferred there wasn't a God at all watching me and calling me to account. First Corinthians chapter two. Verse 14, it says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. You know, the most glorious things set forth before blind man, and he doesn't see it. He can't see it. He's blind. But we're not just blind to to spiritual reality. We are hostile against God. We're God's enemies. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says, although you were formerly, he's talking to Christians that used to be lost, he says, you formerly were alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. That's the way we were when we were lost. We're alienated from God, hostile toward Him. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all working together to provide a million different alternative things for us to delight in other than God, aren't they? There are so many things. What, whatever your personality type, whatever stuff you like, the world will provide you things to delight in other than God. We delight in ourselves an awful lot. We delight in sin. We, we can delight in, in sensual things. Delight in just worldly entertainment and sports and whatever. God calls us to delight in Himself. That's the condition of the lost man, isn't it? God must do a gracious, miraculous work within him. God must come and replace a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. God must open our eyes to see Him. God must unstop our ears to hear Him. God must give us faith to believe these things. He must give us the Holy Spirit to reveal and make them real to our souls so that we can respond with delight and with joy. And brother Jeff shared about when God came to him. Well, that's what the lost man needs. What about us who are professing Christians? What about ourselves? I mean, some of us have been been converted decades ago. We said we've been walking with the Lord all this time. What about me? Do I really delight in god you know i've been asking myself these last weeks boy today did i really delight in god or did i just delight you know i was just excited about a bunch of these worldly things or things in a job or whatever am i delighting in god is that a consistent part of my life it is a it is a real searching question it's a real powerful test am i delighting in god or not It really tells where we are. It tells where our hearts are really at. It might reveal where the idols lie. You know? Alternatives to God. Uh, Jesus taught us in in, uh, Matthew 6 about laying up treasure in heaven. Remember that? He says lay up treasure not on the earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. And He said something real important. He said where your treasure is there will your heart be also. See, wherever that treasure is, it's like a magnet that pulls our heart over there. And, and, and if your treasure is really in earthly things, so that's where your heart is going to go. That's what you're going to be delighting in. That's what's going to make you excited. That's what you're going to want to talk about. That's what you're going to be looking forward to. But if our treasure is really in heaven then our hearts are naturally going to gravitate to the things of God. That's our real joy. That's our real delight. You see, this is, this is a test. See where we're, we're at. Well, you might say, you know, I'm sitting in church here. I mean, obviously, I, I must delight in God to be here. And I hope we all are. That's wonderful. But we know the reality is that multitudes go to church and do religious things, but aren 't in touch with the Lord at all. You see you can delight in churchy stuff without delighting in god himself you I mean some people just just enjoy. Mystical, spiritual experiences getting a little tingly or whatever. Some people uh, rejoice in in outward morality. They like hearing sermons about morality. It makes them proud. They're doing the right stuff here. They're pleasing God. Um, Some people like just socializing with Christians. I mean, most Christians are pretty nice people. And they just like being around them and doing activities and things sometimes. Uh, So you can do all kinds of of religious-y things but not actually be delighting in God Himself. Think of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. These are some of the most religious people in the world, right? And, and here these, these guys are. They're, they're, they're memorizing huge sections of Scripture. They have wonderful Bible knowledge. They're going to all the meetings at the synagogue. They're, uh, they're fasting, regularly they are praying these long prayers they um they're tithing you know so scrupulously as jesus describes they're doing all this religious stuff and jesus looks at them and says guys you look so good on the outside but you're inside in your heart it's a disaster you're like a whitewashed tomb looks good from the outside but inside death dead men's bones. See, we can be dead on the inside to God and and still be doing all the stuff on the outside. We must examine ourselves, even if we think we're believers, the difficulty of delighting in God. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, on his, his sermon on this this passage in, in Psalm 37, he said that there were there are two times when it's especially difficult to delight in God two times one of them is when everything is going terribly when you're in the midst of of horrible trials when it seems like your prayer is not being answered it seems like God's a million miles away um and 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 we're very discouraged it's it's difficult at that point to delight in God that's difficult but Spurgeon said there's another time it's even more difficult to delight in God when you suppose that is it's when everything's going right. It's whenever it's whenever you're getting everything you want. And and you know the job's going good and the family's good and the church is good and the car starts in the morning. Everything's great. And our tendency is to delight in all the stuff that's going well yeah. rather than to delight in the giver of those blessings. So if you're in that condition, that's wonderful, but beware. Check your heart. What are we really delighting in. I think of that, uh, that hymn by William Cooper. The last stanza says, "'Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint.'" You ever had that complaint? You ever had that burden? And then he goes on and says, "'Yet I love Thee and adore, O for grace.'" to love thee more." Yeah, he says, I, my, my love is weak and faint, so often it grieves me. Yes, but I, I do love you, Lord. I know I love you some, but all oh for grace that I might love you more. That's a Christian's prayer so often, isn't it? How do I love God more? How do I increase my delight in God? Well, you can make a big list of things. I, I, just, I just want to suggest one thought in passing and we'll move on. One question. Are you thinking enough about Christ and him crucified? Are you thinking enough these days about about the cross, about the the central things of the gospel? You know, it seems to me that if I get too far away from the cross in my thinking, I tend to get cold. There's I mean there's all these, you know, interesting, complicated aspects of theology we're trying to understand and nail down. There's, there's lots of obscure Scriptures that we'd like to understand better that we're working on. That's good. But if we get too far from the Gospel itself, if we're not meditating on Christ, we can wind up cold to Him. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, I think is helpful here. It says, "...for God..." who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He says, God, God has sent this this light, this beam of light into our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God. You say, yes, that's what I want. I want to see the glory of God. I want to be delighting in that. Well, where are we going to see it? Where do you look for it? He says you see it in the face of Jesus Christ. You see it in the Savior Himself. You know, that's, we talked about the lost man. He, he can't delight in God. He's, he is, his heart is dead. He's blind. He can't see it. He must come to Christ for salvation in the Gospel. He must believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Christ will forgive your sins. Wash them away with His blood. It's the Gospel where the lost man begins to delight in God but the gospel's also where all of us as believers where we come to delight in God it's still the same the same gospel the same savior that we must gaze upon that we must recount to ourselves all the aspects of what Christ has done For me, my position because Christ died for my sins, it's an objective, certain, finished reality. My sins are paid for. There's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. And on and on from there, our rejoicing, it seems like it, it always originates from the cross and then goes outward from there. Well, then what about this promise here? I've, I've spoken all this time about the first part of the verse, Dislight Yourself in the Lord. But what about this promise? It says in, in Psalm 37, 4, that if we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our hearts. What an added incentive this is to be delighting in God. He says you delight in God, He'll give you the desires of of your heart. Now what exactly does it mean? What is being promised here? Um, and, uh, and there's two different thoughts about what this means. And commentators I looked at kind of go one way or the other. Two thoughts are that one, God is, God is promising here that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then God will give us all the stuff we want. God will give us all the things that we have a desire for. That's one view. The other view is that if we delight ourselves in God, that God will give us desires. It's not about giving us the stuff, it's giving us the desires for the right stuff. And uh, so there's these two views, and I don't know which of them David uh, primarily had in mind when he wrote the psalm under inspiration, but I know both thoughts are true. They're both confirmed with other scriptures. And, uh, And actually... If you take both of them together, they actually form a wonderful progression through the verse. And I I hope I can show you this because I think it's really helpful. You know, the verse starts with delighting ourselves in the Lord like we've been talking about. And then as we do that, as you delight more in the Lord, we start to change, don't we? God starts to work in us and, and our priorities begin to change. The desires and goals that were the biggest deal to us before when we were kind of shallow and carnal and immature it seems like those things are kind of fading away. Those are less and less important. And God is giving us new desires, new priorities. There's new stuff that we're mainly concerned about. Like the hymn says, things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have allured my sight. Um, Things of the kingdom, things about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Uh, Things that are in accordance with God's will. Our, our, Our desires change as we delight in God. And and then what do we do? Now I've got these new desires, all this, this new stuff that I want. What do I do with those desires? Well, I go right back to God with them, right? I pray about these things. Lord, it's my desire to grow more in this. It's my desire in this area of ministry for your blessing and so on. We bring these things back to God. Now, is God pleased with those kind of prayers? Is He pleased for us to pray for things that He Himself has given us the desire for? Yes. Is He pleased to grant prayers like that? Yes. And so God then turns around and does give us the desires of our heart. He does grant those things that He has put in our hearts to begin with. He answers those prayers. He does those things in His timing, and His wisdom. And then hopefully the cycle continues. Hopefully we see these answers to prayer in our life. It's such an encouragement. God's with me. He's, he's helping me. He's doing things here. Makes us delight even more in God, right? And God works more in me and works more good desires and, and so on. You see in this, in this verse, there's a little capsule, a little picture of, of spiritual growth. How it works. How we grow closer to God. And... Um, how our, our, how our desires and our prayers are made to more and more mirror God and God's will for me. Where it's, it's no longer this, this kind of conflict between what I want and what God wants. But, but our wills are, are the same. Because God has changed my heart. Well, this thing of the desires of our heart that it talks about here, it is a big thing in the Bible desires of our heart what our desires are you can do a whole study on this the bible talks a lot about bad desires and good desires on the bad side you know there's there's all these sins covetousness greed lust pride these are these are sinful desires bible talks about foolish and harmful desires and worldly desires and corrupt desires fleshly desires this is all bible language but then on the good side, there's there's all these desires spoken of there as well. Um, I found found verses about about people that are desiring to go to heaven. That's a good desire. Uh, people that are desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus. People that have a desire to give money to those in need. People that desire Christian fellowship. That's a good desire. Uh, desire for spiritual gifts, desire for greater ministry, uh, all these desires, desire for the salvation of the lost that 's in the Bible, and then so many verses about just a desire for more of God. see all these these good desires that God does give us, He gives us these good desires that he might grant them and give us the desires of our heart, and we don 't just have the promise here that he 'll do that. It, the promise occurs other places. Psalm 145 says a similar thing. Psalm 145, 19. It says He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. Same same idea. He'll fulfill their desire. And then one I just found that I, I think is really neat. Isaiah 58, verse 11. It says, And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. He'll satisfy your desire in scorched places. You can kind of picture a spiritually scorched place. Have you ever been there? You know, some work environment or college environment or home environment where you say this is just a spiritual wasteland here. There's No way this is going to be any good. But listen to what the verse says. He's going to satisfy your desire right there in the scorched place and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail so right there in the scorched place god is going to satisfy your desire and water you and you can flourish right there in that place isaiah 58:11 it's it's quite a promise so so the promises all these promises they're telling us that you're not going to lose out by putting god you're not going to lose out by delighting in Him, by centering everything around Him. It will not be a life of frustration. You know, I've got all these desires, but but they're never going anywhere. It's never happening. Nothing's changing. No, the promise is if they are desires from God, God's going to be... Given you those things, you're going to have the sense that God is, is with you and, and is continually answering your prayers and leading you on in what He wishes to accomplish for you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, right? Jesus said that. And all these things will be added to you. No good thing does He withhold from them who walk uprightly. Psalm 84 So we don't have to worry. God will abundantly provide for us. And God will give us desires of our heart.